Hello and welcome back to Benaiah, Mighty Man of God by P.H. Thompson, an audiobook. This is chapter 12. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away, and no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. 1 Samuel 26.12 The spies David had sent out returned with the news that Saul, who was still pursuing David, and three thousand chosen men of Israel were nearby, encamped in the hill of Hakilah, opposite Jeshimon, by the road. David went out to the ledge himself and saw the place where Saul was encamped. Saul lay in the center of the camp with the soldiers circling him for protection. So David returned to the camp and asked, Who will go with me to Saul in the camp? Benaiah knew what he was asking. It was beyond bold. It was crazy. Two men against three thousand? Yet the appeal of it was irresistible to him as a soldier. Then Moriah's news replayed in his head. He knew she wouldn't want him to take too many chances with his life with a baby on the way. But while he was contemplating what he should do, Abishai, David's nephew and Joab's brother, stepped forward and spoke up, I will go down with you. Benaiah regretted his hesitation. A soldier should obey quickly. He should not be second-guessing himself. He should have been the one to go with David. Instead, he'd be back at the camp, wondering what was happening, feeling he was not where he should be, protecting David. David and Abishai left at nightfall. How Benaiah longed to go, to be doing instead of worrying. He vowed he would not hesitate again. After a restless night with little sleep, Benaiah watched for their return, pacing through the camp. He berated himself for his earlier indecision and worried about the outcome. Would they return safely, or would they be captured or killed by Saul's forces? And why was David going himself? Finally, Benaiah could make out the form of two men approaching on foot in the distance. As they drew nearer, he saw one seemed to be carrying something in his hand. Benaiah smiled with relief. It was David and Abishai. Praise Yahweh for his protection. Men crowded around David and Abishai as soon as they came into the camp, eager to hear what had happened. David deferred to Abishai to tell the story. He sat nearby and smiled at the eagerness in Abishai's voice as he recounted their adventure. We arrived late at night and saw they were again sleeping in the same manner as the night before, with Saul in the midst of the camp and thousands of soldiers around him. He drew concentric circles on the ground as he explained. We began to creep into the midst of the sleeping soldiers, every moment fearing one would awake and kill us. No one stirred. In fact, the sound of their snoring masked any noise we may have made. It's as if the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the entire camp. I've never seen anything like it. Not even a sentry was awake. When we realized this was of God, we didn't even bother to whisper, yet still no one woke up. Benaiah and the other men listening shook their heads in amazement. Truly God was with them. So we arrived in the center of their camp without incident, and there was Saul, sound asleep, in it, with his ever-present spear on the ground near his head. It was just begging for me to take it and finish him. His general Abner was next to him, snoring loudly, oblivious to the danger to his king. Then I said to David, This is it. God has delivered your enemy to you. Look how he arranged things. It was obvious to me, with the miraculous way we've made it so far. So I said, Please, let me do the honors and pin him to the ground with his own spear. I won't have to do it a second time. 
At this, the men let out a loud cheer. Benaiah felt envious at the opportunity he missed. He would have offered to do the same. Good for you, brother, Joab praised. I would have dispatched him myself. Abishai looked to David, as if unsure how to tell the rest of the story. David arose and came into the midst of the eager soldiers. He didn't do it, David announced. The men groaned. Because I wouldn't let him. Benaiah shouldn't have been surprised by this, yet he was. Not just surprised, but disappointed. It was just like in the cave. David had demonstrated undeserved mercy to Saul yet again. Unbelievable. I said to Abishai, No, don't do it. No one can touch the Lord's anointed and get away with it. I know that either God will strike him down, like Nabal, or he will die naturally, or he'll be killed in battle. But God forbid that I should do such a thing. So that's it then? Benaiah asked. I took Saul's spear from near his head and this water jug, and we left. No one stirred as we left either, David said. This was all too familiar to Benaiah. David had a chance to kill his enemy. Yahweh engineered miraculous circumstances. David's conscience was pricked. He forbade others to do the job, claiming Saul is the Lord's anointed. Then he took a memento to prove he was there. All this story needed now was to have David wake Saul up to confess to what he'd done, and it would be exactly the same. Abishai picked up the rest of the story. Then this morning, we were over on a hill opposite Saul and his army, with a valley between us. David called out to Abner, but he wouldn't answer. So David said, Don't you hear me, Abner? Benaiah threw his head back in disbelief. It was the same. David confronted Saul. Then Abner answered, Who do you think you are to presume to speak to the king? Abishai smiled as he remembered the exchange. So David said to Abner, even though there is no one with your status in Israel, you are proving yourself to be a mere man. Why haven't you guarded your sovereign? He let Abner consider that for a moment, and then added, For while you slept, someone came in with the intention of killing the king. He didn't let them know it was David himself in, the, in their camp. Then he said, This is not a good situation. As his general, you deserve to die for not guarding him properly. Look around you and see if you can find the king's favorite spear, or the jug of water that was next to his head as he slept. Benaiah marveled at David's bold words to Abner. He could only imagine how that must have stabbed at Abner's pride as a soldier. But Saul recognized him and he said, Is that you again, my son David? Benaiah felt he could have told the rest of the story himself. Saul was responding in the same way as at the incident at the cave. Abishai confirmed his suspicions. Then David said, Yes, it is I, my king. Why do you still pursue me? What is my crime against you? Please listen. If God has incited you against me, he will accept an offering for willful sin in my place. But if it's a person, then may God curse them, because they've driven me out of the land of my people to a land of idolaters. Benaiah understood David's meaning. By forcing him to be on the run, he was among the idol-worshipping Philistines. Although David wouldn't worship idols himself, he was indicating his desire to once again worship with the people of God. He said, Please don't let me die for no reason. The king is hunting insignificant prey. Then Saul said, I am in the wrong. Come back, my son David. I won't harm you anymore, because you've proved for the second time now that you're not trying to kill me. Instead, I've been foolish and am the guilty party here. He always says that, but it means nothing. 
You can't trust him, Benaiah argued. David motioned for Benaiah to calm down. I know. That's why we kept our distance, David said. I pitched the spear towards them from the hill and said, Here is the king's spear. Have someone retrieve it. Let God be the judge who is right or wrong. He again gave you into my hand to test me, but I wouldn't take the opportunity, because you are his appointed leader. Because of that, I value your life, as I hope my life is valued in God's eyes. He'll deliver me out of all my troubles. Abishai added, Then Saul said, Bless you, my son David. I know you will continue to do great things and succeed in the end. Benaiah said, He knows it in his mind, but he won't do anything to make it happen. David agreed. True, he isn't ready for that. He may never be, but regardless, it will still happen as God has decreed. Abishai concluded, So Saul went his way, and we returned here. He hoisted the jug, with a royal jug. A week after he returned from Saul's camp with the jug, David gathered his mighty men together. I'm so weary of being hunted by Saul. In spite of his assurances to the contrary, I don't trust that he'll ever stop pursuing me. There have been too many close calls. The only option I can see is to hide out in Philistine territory until he tires of the chase. I know he won't venture outside of Israel to find me. This way we can escape and hopefully have some semblance of peace. Benaiah was surprised to hear David so depressed. How could that be after such a miraculous deliverance? Do you think the Philistines will accept you and the rest of us? After all, there are now 600 soldiers with you, as well as our families. They may be intimidated by that, Joab asked. Not to mention that you are the one who killed their hero, Goliath, Abishai said. And you've slain thousands of Philistines since then, Benaiah added. Nevertheless, it's also known throughout the land that Saul seeks my life. Akish the king may believe we are united against a common enemy, and therefore trust me. I also think it would be best to have our families finally settled into a city, David said. Benaiah was of two minds about David's decision. He couldn't imagine living among the pagan Philistines, and he knew Moriah wouldn't like it either. As the son of a priest, he knew how much God detested idol worship and how it could be a snare to the hearts of the people. But he also knew Moriah's mind about being in the wilderness while she was pregnant. He also wanted to get settled. Women and children should be in homes, not out in caves, tents, and strongholds, awaiting their men to return from military raids. He guessed David's two new wives had some influence on his decision. Regardless of his feelings in the matter, Benaiah would obey David, trusting that God was leading them, even into the heart of Philistia. Moriah was nearing the end of her pregnancy. Benaiah wondered if they would have a son, and if he'd be a good father. Would he allow the child to follow where Yahweh led? Would it matter to him if the child became a priest or a soldier, or even a cart maker? He didn't think so. He had learned from his own life struggles that sometimes, in spite of one's tribe, Yahweh had a different direction planned. Benaiah didn't regret his own decision to become a soldier over a priest. He was right where God had called him to be, at David's side, even if it was among Israel's enemies, the Philistines. Ironically, they had first settled in Gath, the very hometown of the giant Goliath, whom David slew. It was one of five royal cities in Philistia, and David soon established his reputation militarily, gaining the trust of King Achish. 
You seem distracted, Benaya. Is all well? David asked. Benaya never allowed personal issues to interfere with his duties in the past, and he chided himself for letting his emotions show now. I'm fine, my lord. Is it Mariah, then? She's due to have your child soon, isn't she? Yes, she started to have some pain during the night. She assured me it was normal, and insisted I go to work as usual. Ah, I see. But you can't stop thinking about her. Benaya dropped his head. Yes, and she has no family here to help with the delivery and the care of the baby when it comes. Yes, a woman needs her mother, especially with the first child. Only a woman can help another woman at times like that. I sometimes think I want to be there to support them, but when my sister gave birth and I heard her screams of agony through the wall, I headed in the opposite direction. I don't know how they bear it. Benaya appreciated that David was trying to be helpful, but his talk of women screaming in the pangs of childbirth only made him worry even more for Mariah, in spite of the fact that she wasn't alone. The other soldiers' wives would help her. David regarded Benaya with what he could only read as sympathy. Go on home. Make sure all is well. I'll see you tomorrow. Benaya straightened even more. I'm fine, my lord. I'm sure she's fine. David laughed. Yes, I've no doubt you're fine, but you'll be better when you check on your wife and when you can pace outside the room and hear the first cries of your son or daughter. Benaya smiled at the thought, but didn't want to leave his post. He didn't move. Go on, Benaya, that's an order. Send me word when your child is born. It doesn't matter the hour. Benaya was surprised at the personal gesture from David. Benaya looked around the room a moment. Yes, my lord, I'll, I'll find someone to replace me. Thank you, my lord, thank you. Benaya hurried out of the room to the sound of David chuckling. The shrill cry of a newborn broke the silence of the early morning. Benaya let out a breath. Mariah's long, hard labor was over, and their child was born. Mahasham, Raya's wife, opened the door to their room. She looked exhausted, so Benaya could only imagine how Mariah felt. She gave Benaya a weak smile when she saw him. She's fine, Benaya. The midwife is just finishing up, so you can go in to see them. I heard the baby. It's fine? Mahasham patted Benaya's forearm. Yes, Benaya, he's fine. He? Benaya's face split with a grin. I have a son? Yes, a fine son. Blessings. Benaya grasped Mahasham's shoulders and spun her around. She laughed in happy surprise at his response. A son! I have a son! When can I see him? Just a moment. After what seemed like much more than a moment, Benaya was allowed into the room. Mariah opened her eyes when she heard him. Her hair was matted to her forehead with perspiration, and she looked thoroughly worn out, but he didn't think he had ever seen her more beautiful, except perhaps on their wedding day. She pulled back the covers on the baby to reveal his little scrunched-up reddened face. Here's your Abba, Mariah said to the baby by way of introduction. Benaya's eyes filled with tears as he looked between his wife and his son. He felt so blessed. He felt protective of his little family. He didn't want them to ever be in danger. He thought of his little brother and suddenly understood his parents' fear when he was missing and imagined their grief when he died. Welcome, little one, Benaya stroked his little cheek, and the baby turned toward him and opened his tiny mouth. He's looking for his first meal already, Mariah said. Born hungry? Like his father, Mariah smiled. Benaya caught her eyes. Thank you, he said, and kissed her. I'm so glad you were able to be here. It was worse than I expected, even with so many experienced women and the midwife here. I'm so thankful he's safe and healthy. 
I know we won't give him his name until he's circumcised, but I already know what I want him to want to name him. Amizabad. After your brother who died? Yes, Amiz should have lived a long life, but because of me he was killed by those boys. That won't happen to this boy. I will protect him. He can be the man my little brother never was. Amizabad it will be then. Continue listening for chapter 13.